It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now, we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. He's one of only six players in the history of the San Jose Sharks as a defenseman to play more than 500 games in a Sharks uniform. Scott Hannon is with us on this edition of the show. And uh, Hannon, first of all, we all know where you are. You're living in San Jose. You're part of our broadcast team. But I wanted to take this opportunity to, to go back a number of years and find out exactly where Kenneth Scott Hannon, your actual full name, uh, became involved in the game of hockey and how it became such a big part of your life. And where do you say that it started for you? Man, back in Surrey, BC. Um, really, uh, my mom, I think she was in some way just trying to find uh, something for us kids to do. There was three of us. My sister was in figure skating. I was into power skating and we all had to do everything together. So when my sister went to figure skating, we all went to figure skating. We all went to power skating and you know, I, she just couldn't get me off the ice. I, I, I took an appeal to it right away. And, uh, you know, it was on from there. I believe I was like three or four years old, possibly. And so you just jumped right onto the ice. Of course, Surrey, BC is a suburb of, of Vancouver. In fact, uh, Brendan Dillon is another Surrey native that got to the NHL that later played for the San Jose Sharks. How would you describe the, just, just what happened to you? What, what did you feel when you stepped on the ice and what made you love it so much to be out there just skating? You know, I was a pretty energetic kid. And, you know, I think that that the focus, how hard it was, I, I, I had an affinity to it. I was pretty good right from right from the start, from skating to playing. And I was always a really competitive kid. I wanted to win um, at everything I did against my brother, against my sister, if it was getting a controller for the TV. And, I, you know, I think I enjoyed that physicality of, of hockey. Um, you know, the skating part was obviously the first, but, uh, you know, when you get the chance to play in games, um, I really enjoyed it. And you know how it is. You grow up in Canada, you know, the sports that are they're front and center always is hockey. And I think that that was a big part of it to be able to play, you know, being in Vancouver, it wasn't, so much getting to play outside on on frozen ponds i think there was only two winters where we were able to do it and the ice was a little a little thin but still fun so in that sense a little bit more in common with uh, people in california although it's a lot warmer here by by comparison to vancouver now you mentioned you were you were in a you're in a family of three you have a sister and a brother where where are you in that family are, are you one two or three I'm stuck right in the middle. And then I have another younger brother who's, you know, 26. He's probably going to, if he hears this, he's probably going to say I'm wrong. He's 24, 25 in, in that range. And um, so I have, there's four of us, but I grew up with really just three of us young in the household. What do you think that uh, taking skating lessons, uh, figure skating lessons to be uh, specific, did to help you understand what you needed to do later to become an elite skater and play in the NHL? Because figure skating is a little bit different than, than skating on hockey skates. Yes, yes. And I think if you look at the way skating has progressed now, a lot of that comes from figure skating. The, you know, you see the edge work that Brent Burns does prior to his game work, you know, the inside outside edge, the control, the balance, 
you know, a lot of power skating when we grew up was stop starts, you know, almost a somewhat conditioning, somewhat skating. And some people were just good at it. And if they were out there a long time, now the focus is on the balance between all of your edges and the inside out. You hear the punch stop from, um, you know, Sidney Crosby started. And then it's the linear crossover from McDavid. And these are all basis of perfectly balanced across the edge work. And, you, you know, and I think that that's so important in today's game. I coach my kids at, at a young level and, you know, some of the stuff that they're coming up with is, you know, and, and seeing the balance and the way these kids skate at such a young age, I think it's better skating than we had when we were kids. It's yeah. not so up and down straightforward. It's the adjustment from speed crossover, the, the deception in your skating. Also the, the ability to have balance, which obviously is, is a critical part of, of, playing hockey in at any level but uh, at, at what point and how do you work on that um you know there's a lot of individual um coaches and in, in, to some degree but also a lot of it is just knowing the drills to practice um you know if you get out there and you're on your getting strength on your outside edge and, and you know pushing with your inside edge everybody thinks a crossover is just you know one push but there's multiple pushes inside of that cross in that crossover that allow you to do it and and that balance and you know and that comfortableness on inside outside you know before you see a lot of kids when they're starting their their ankles are buckled in and they're just riding that inside edge and you know you got to teach them to get off that and get into their inside roll their ankle strength um balance you know and there's a number of different ways to get there and i think the the evolution of just hockey training has gotten us so much farther when, than where we used to, where it used to be just who was the fastest and beat the race to the puck straight, straight forward. The game has become so dynamic in so many ways. We're talking to Scott Hannon and reminiscing a little bit about his life and times in the world of hockey. Of course, you all know Scott as part of our broadcast team and one of the very few players that played more than 500 games as a defenseman in a San Jose Sharks uniform. Uh, Hannah, as a youth, you got a chance to to really start to uh, realize that you were an outstanding player and maybe had a future in the game. Uh, did you think that that probably started when you were about 12 or 13 when you played in the Quebec International Pee Wee Hockey Tournament with your team from Surrey? Yeah, I mean, everybody looks to that tournament. We got to go as the Junior Canucks. We, we won the local tournament um, in Vancouver. You know, we had a great team growing up, uh, you know, the guys I played with. And, you know, I just remembered enjoying hockey a lot. We talk about different pathways and we talk about who knew what. I didn't, I just enjoyed playing the game. When, you know, when the WHL draft came around and I, you know, there was rumors I was going to get drafted. I didn't even really know what the WHL was. You know, when you talk to some guys and they've been talking and dreaming about the OHL and the WHL, you know, my pathway wasn't really that. I enjoyed playing hockey. I hung the skates up every, you know, after every season and played lacrosse. I loved box lacrosse. That was another passion of mine. I played a lot of that growing up. I played that till I was 14 years old. I really didn't play year-round hockey until probably that age. It was There was an age when I went to the kit. Um, played the BC selects, which is the pathway to the Canadian junior team. And, and that's probably the first time I played year round hockey. So, you know, everybody has that little bit of a different pathway. I didn't really know when it, I took it serious. I may not have thought about playing in the NHL until my 16 year old year playing in, for the Rockets. When I looked around at a bunch of other players, I started playing a lot of minutes. I was a pretty good 16 year old. There was starting to have some talk about, you know, the, the draft next year and who was near the top. And that was probably the first time I really thought maybe, I, you know, 
I know I was always good, but you, you just never know what level you're at. But when you did go to Kelowna, obviously you had to move away from where you lived at home. And that's a big adjustment for a 16 year old, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, that's kind of what I mean. I think if I remember this right, and you know, my memory's not, is that I was saying no to Moose Jaw and a few other teams that were, you know, picking in the first round. But I thought, hey, well, why not give Kelowna a chance? It's not that far. I wouldn't have to move that far away from home. And, you know, I, I you know, it's still to this day when I went in there at camp, I didn't know what was going to happen. And, you know, I took on the challenge, was able to make the team. And, you know, and, and that's what it was. Bruce Hamilton, and obviously that, you know, in that area, Lauren Fry, they were great to me. They're the managers of the team, the owner of the team. And, you know, they just made it feel like a secondary family. And, um, and that's what made it special. Well, your billet family probably had to have something to do with that, too. And that's something that American fans don't necessarily have a lot of contact with. But uh, obviously, when you're, you're only 16 years of age, you got to go to school and you're also playing essentially as an apprentice in the Western Hockey League. You're learning how to be a professional at the same time. But what about that billet family? It was really special. And, you know, and, and to be honest, there was. The team was first year in Kelowna was the year I moved there. We played in the old war memorial. So there was a lot of um, figuring out billet situations. They didn't have established billets. I didn't really get a rock solid billet. I lived with Lauren Fry for um, a little while, who was the head scout and his family. It was a great family, but, you know, we, and we still talk to this day. And then I, I moved to another family and I still talk to this billet family. They were there for my last two years, which is Greg and Kathy Robinson. And I mean, I just saw them up in the Okanagan. I was up there taking my boys up to a, um, a hockey school, the, you know, the Okanagan hockey school in a Soyuz. And they came down, we visited, we got to go out on the boat. So, you know, we always stay in touch. They're a great family. And, you know, they took care of me when I was up there. Marcel Como was the coach at the time, and he was somebody that had a professional career, not in the NHL. But uh, what about uh, Marcel and some of the other coaches that you played for in those years? You know what? I had a, a number of good coaches from, you know, Marcel Como my first year, um, you know, and he, you know, the, the older guys on the team, I learned a lot from Marcel. He was a great, you know, sort of technical coach if you call it, I didn't have much personal interaction with them being a rookie, being such a young kid um, from, I had Pete Anholt for a longer time and Pete Anholt, you know, I really, I really enjoyed him as a coach. He taught me that, you know, the, the passion of the game, you know, to take things, I'm not going to say I didn't take things seriously, but you know, you always hear about learning to be a pro um, the work that you have to put in. Um, Ryan Stewart was there. Um, uh, you know, Alan Kerr, a former player in the NHL. And, you know, those guys, I, I think they just sit down and chat with you. It's not always about the X's and O's. It's about the things away from it and the, and the mental side of the game. And I think they helped me a lot with that. Well, you certainly learned a lot about that as you became a professional hockey player. And of course, it all became a little bit more of a reality when the San Jose Sharks drafted you 23rd overall in 1997. And, you know, you look back at that, Scott, that that particular year, what a huge year for the San Jose Sharks to draft Patrick Marlowe, number two overall, and then they get the uh, chance to get you 23rd overall. What, what were your thoughts uh, going into that draft? And uh, odd question. I, I think you were there, but to tell us if you were present at that draft and what it was like. Yeah, I was there. I was in Pittsburgh and, you know, I guess you could say I was kind of a wild card. There was kind of a range where everybody thought I would go, but you know, you, you know how it is when you get down to that, 
the bottom of the first round, sometimes things can move quite a bit. Um, you know, I thought that Boston, I had a good meeting with them. They liked me a lot. I know they were coming up to pick, you know, and I remember sitting there in the stands when um, San Jose traded up to the 23rd and I thought, okay, well, I'm definitely not going to San Jose because I, I didn't have a, what I felt was a great meeting with Dean Lombardi and, you know, and Tim Burke and, and, and the scouting staff. And, uh, you know, I think I had my face full of popcorn when uh, um, they called my name and I almost spat it out. And it was kind of funny because I walked up and I sat there, shook hands, put the jersey on and, you know, Dean kind of leaned over and laughed at me. He's like, did you think we were going to take you? And I said, not a chance. Um, you know, he has a, a really psychological view on how he looks at players, I think. And, you know, he kind of tested me in a, in the meeting and I, I kind of stuck up for myself and some teammates and, you know, got my back up and was pretty and partially got defensive. And I think in some way he enjoyed that. He, he, he thought that that was the reaction he wanted. He wants somebody that was going to come that way um, and, and defend himself, defend his teammates. And, you know, um, I think they like that. And, you know, that's that's the, the start of the journey that was, uh, you know, started at the Sharks and, you know, got to end with the Sharks, which was great. Well, it also started at a pretty seminal time in the history of the team. Um, you know, Patrick Marlowe, of course, played for the Seattle Thunderbirds. So you had a lot of experience going up against him. But uh, um, what did it mean to you to to be able to have this journey along with him? You know, me and Patty did. We had a lot of battles, um, you know, in when he played for the Thunderbirds, I played for Kelowna. We had a, a quite a bit of rivalry between them. I was tasked with sort of trying to slow down Patrick Marlowe. And they had a couple guys that were tasked with protecting Patrick Marlowe. So we had Scott Parker on our team, Todd Fedoric. They had uh, Paul Ferrone and a couple other guys who were up here for, you know, his Jersey retirement. We all had a good chuckle about that. He's still friends with them. Parksy was in town and we had chuckles about our, our uh, dustings back in the junior days, but, you know, obviously getting to start my, our careers together, he, he entered obviously a few years earlier than I did. Um, but, you know, I think we created a bond and a, and a friendship that carries on to this day. And he's such a special player for this organization, um, for the team, uh, you know, being here so long and important to the NHL. So, you know, I was happy to be able to, to come in at around the same time and, and, you know, grow that bond and, you know, to make fast friends, the, the friends you make in hockey can last a lifetime. And, uh, you know, I think it's pretty cool. You know, we've seen this with development camps and then uh, NHL training camps that when you're 18 years old and you're, you're just coming out of junior hockey and you're coming to a national hockey league training camp for the first time, you see a lot of wide eyed people. And, uh, you know, people looking around and, you know, seeing all of these great players that you've you've grown up watching. And uh, what was that like for you to walk into a, a training camp in San Jose for the very first time? You know, it, it was, you know, pretty amazing. You're, you're looking around and, and, and seeing faces that you've watched on TV. You're getting to meet them. Um, you know, I think there's that. And then, you know, on the other side, it's it's the confidence in yourself. And I remember coming in feeling pretty confident with myself, even after, you know, the first practice, it took a while. It still does when you get out there and you kind of, you know, you're playing with these guys. Do I really deserve to be here? You start playing around and the, you know, the vets that were there were so good to us young guys. I remember that first camp, Bob Rouse and, you know, guys like that taking you out and making sure you felt comfortable. Dean did a great job bringing the veteran group in, in there. Um, and basically, 
allowing the young players to feel comfortable. I think, and that's an, a very important thing in that transition, um, especially with new teams into the league back then. It's a little bit different now with the way they do the, you know, the expansion drafts. You almost have a team right away there. It's, it's a process and you, and you got to create a, a character and, and a culture in that locker room. And that's very important. Dean did a great job starting that off really early and always felt comfortable walking in from day one. Well, he sure did. And it was partly signing those veteran players to establish that culture and then bringing in talented players like Patrick Marlowe and like yourself. And of course, the year before, Marco Sturm, another guy drafted in the first round that was such a big part of those years and allowing them to, to build. But for you, it was back to junior for a little bit more time, get a little bit more experience. And then finally, uh, at the end of your junior season in 99, you, you got a chance to play a little bit in Kentucky in the American Hockey League and get some Calder Cup playoff experience, as I recall. Um, obviously, that was uh, that was something important. And you played a couple of games for the San Jose Sharks at the very beginning of the year. And that brings us to another interesting part uh, of your life. And that is that the very first National Hockey League game you played was in Tokyo, Japan. And the very first goal of that season was scored by Joe Murphy. Scott Hannon, the rookie, playing in his first NHL game, turns it back to Marco Sturm. Exchanges on the right wing boards with Joe Murphy. He stick handles, gives back to the Murphy. Now back to Sturm, breaking in at the circle angle. Shot save, rebound, score! Joe Murphy gets the first goal of the 1998-99 season on a brilliantly designed play with Marco Sturm. And it's a power play goal to make it one nothing San Jose. So take us back to that October in that season. You're in Japan on a converted swimming pool and you're playing in the National Hockey League and then you score your first point on the first goal of the year. Yeah, it was pretty surreal. You know, right starting from camp, you know, you talk about that second camp where you come in the first one, you're kind of a, a wide-eyed school kid. And then you know, I remember coming into that second year and I just keep growing and then I had the confidence. I remember we got in a few exhibition games and I'm like, I can play. And uh, I kept getting better as the, you know, as the camp went on through the exhibition games. And then I got the chance to, you know, obviously to travel to, to Japan to play in my first two games. And then to get that goal, to dress up and skate in those laces for the, for the first time. It was obviously something pretty special. You know, Murph had a great play on that, a, a great shot, if I remember. So, obviously, again, that veteran leadership on that team. And, you know, I think my... That was my claim to flame. I think uh, you'll probably play it, but I got another point that game. and uh, I led the league in scoring, I think, for two weeks, at least tied for or something like that. That was my claim to fame. I had buddies call me up saying they're going to pick me up in fantasy hockey. And I was like, well, slow down a little bit here, guys. Everybody else hasn't played, doesn't play for two weeks. <laughs> well, as, yeah, and as it turned out, you played five games. You had the two assists in that game. I ended up going back to Kelowna to get that experience. And as I mentioned, at the end of that season also, got some American Hockey League experience and playing for the Kentucky Thoroughblades. And that had to be an interesting uh, adjustment too. Roy Sommer, Nick Fatiu were the coaches there. And uh, as I remember, there was a veteran group of guys on that team, including a, a, a player that was a prospect for the Florida Panthers, Dan Boyle, who uh, totally, totally changed when he came to the Sharks. He cut his hair and maybe played a little bit less rock and roll, but you got exposed to another great defenseman very, very early on. Yeah, you know, after the, the Rockets ended their playoff run, I was able to go down there and, and get in some games and, Again, it's it's another different experience. The AHL from junior, even from the pros, it's it's a different game, and you have to adjust. You have to learn how to how to play in those situations. Um, 
it took me a little bit. It was a little slow first getting back there coming from junior, but you know, they gave me the opportunity. I played the minutes, um, you know, Sean Hines, uh, Mike Craig, one of the veterans, uh, Billy Goose, uh, Gooselin, and, and a bunch of guys down there. It was a great team, but I, you know, by the end and into the first round of the playoffs, I was playing quite a few minutes. I was playing with Dan Boyle, um, and got to play a lot with him. He was a great veteran, obviously a great puck mover. He always, he always was. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot from him and, you know, funny how that hockey world spins, you know, we end up coming back at the end of our careers playing together. Um, you know, he came to San Jose after I left San Jose pretty much, I believe it was the next year that he ended up coming or the year after. And then, uh, we ended up getting play a couple of years together towards the end of our careers. And, you know, he lives here. We talk all the time and, um, you know, it's pretty cool. You know, when you were growing up, who were your favorite hockey players that you really looked up to? Oh, Yurke Lume and Doug Lidster, Vancouver Canucks. Um, you know, I was a big, probably the only real team I watched was the Vancouver Canucks. They're running 94, Pavel Bure, you know, Gino Ochik, um, Trevor Linden, you know, Sergio Momesto, you name it, down the line. I, there was a lot of guys on that team that, you know. Brad Hedekin. Yeah, Hedy was there. The, the smooth skating Hedy. Uh, you know, there was, it's such a, it was so cool to grow up in, in Vancouver, such a passionate fan base as well. And, you know, when I played, I didn't like them too much. But when I grew up, that was my team. Well, it's interesting because they were a really slick club and they went all the way to game seven of the Stanley Cup final in 1994, uh, playing the New York Rangers in a pretty historic series. But I suppose that uh, when you look at it and you look at uh, what we were just talking about, your time in the AHL, you get a kind of an idea of exactly what a young player has to go through. And what about the importance of of the American Hockey League for the Sharks organization now. The fact that uh, that they're trying to build into a team that plays some playoff games as you did that very first pro season when you played 12 playoff games for Roy Somers' team. But uh, what about the experience of being able to play against men and be in best of seven series to get ready for the NHL? Yeah, I think it's you know extremely important. You look at the Sharks bringing the Barracuda in-house, being right there. Um, you know, you see that happening across the league. Back when I, we started, it was kind of, you know, it was East Coast. It was Lexington. It was hard to get to when you call up players. I mean, there was three connections sometimes to get to a Sharks game. So the kids are coming in tired. It was a hard way to, to really stay close to the development path, which I think in the NHL is now so important. You see these teams and the amount of time they, they put into that development process, which is so important. And you see, I think that the Sharks are doing a great job. You know, Mike Greer, fantastic the way he's putting the development path together here. I think they got some great picks this year in the draft. Um, the team's going to look a lot different because that's where it starts. You have to have that that base to be able to draw from and, and develop those players down there because you're going to need them, especially with the way salary cap is. You can't just go out and – grab players and, 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 you know, make a big splash in the free agent market all the time and expect to win. you got to have that homegrown talent. And that's the, you know, the way that it's, the winning goes in the NHL right now. Scott Hannon is with us on the San Jose Sharks audio network. And we're going way, way back to your earlier years where you played for the Kentucky Thoroughblades 
after that uh, brief foray into the Calder Cup playoffs, you spent a half a season with the Thoroughblades working on your game. And then later on in that season, you got to the Sharks in about February. And Guy Bear was in the nets against Anaheim. And this happened. And here comes Vinny Domfers. He stick handles to the red line, sends to the right to Hannon, who jumps up into the place, stick handles across the line, can't get around Vishnevsky, who poke checked it loose. But in the left wing corner, Domfus gets it free to Granado, centering pass, and the shot score! Scott Hannon gets his first NHL goal on a centering pass that was right on the tape. It's a 3-2 hockey game. What a moment for you, jumping up into the play and uh, taking a page out of Dan Boyle's playbook right there. But what about those guys that are that, that were on the ice with you? I mean, Vinny Domfus, what a fantastic hockey player he was. Yeah, Vinny Domfus, you know, Tony Granato, who I, you know, I still talk to quite a bit these days. We have text message threads with Gary Suter, Rob James, Scott Thornton. So, you know, you talk about veteran leadership and what that meant early on and, you know, my career, you, you know, the, the fact that, you're still hanging on and talking to those guys. And, you know, those guys were great to get a feed from, you know, Tony and, and Vinny Danfus on the first goal felt pretty special. Yeah, it sure was. And of course you spent uh, well over 500 games with the San Jose Sharks over the course of your career. And I think that uh, maybe one of the most interesting moments had nothing to do with making a great to necessarily individual play, but was something that a group of you did together. And I want to go back to a playoff game against the Edmonton Oilers 2006 when uh, we were up in the broadcast booth and just marveling at what happened. Hemsky to Pronger, to Stoll on the right point, back to Pronger, crowd boos, he gives in the corner, Hemsky back to Pronger, to Stoll on the point, the point men are slowly inching in for Edmonton, Pisani on the right side, back to Stoll, back to Pronger on the left side, goes down low to Hemsky in the corner, back to Pronger, cross ice Stoll, can't shoot it, good coverage by the Sharks, they're going around the perimeter but no shooting yet for Edmonton. Stoll stops him on the right point. Goes back to Pronger. He's back at the blue line now. He crisscrosses with Stoll to get the better angle. That Let's way see they if that works. Time. Now it's Pronger on the point. Cross side. Stoll the drive. Save. Toscana. Rebound. Loose behind the net. Oilers try to center it. Great defensive play by McLaren, but he couldn't clear it. Pronger kept it in. Cross ice, now stole back to Pronger. He's booed by the crowd. Goes down low to Pisani in the right corner. Back to the right circle to Pronger. Left circle, stole shot. Save Toscata. There's a rebound there, but again, McLaren couldn't clear. He got hauled down too. No penalty call. Smith is wide open in front of the net. But now Hemsky can't get the pass through. He goes back to the point. Stole the drive high and wide. Rebound a centering attempt blocked by a stickless Scott Hannon in front of the net. A save by Toscata off of Pisani. Two oh, tremendous, tremendous stage. Two, Two sharks sticks. don't have sticks. And now another shot by the Oilers wide. In front of the net. Pisani tried to get it. Pardon me. Never Smith. seen this before. Two broken sticks and a five on three. Stole fires it wide. The two Sharks that don't have sticks are Mark Smith and Scott Hannon. McLaren's got his. Pronger in deep. Shoots it. Blocked by McLaren. Cross I stole the drive. It's blocked and cleared. Scooped by Scott Hannon all the way down the Unbelievable. ice. Unbelievable. 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 Never seen anything like it on a five-on-three. Listen to this crowd. What a moment that was, wasn't it? No, it was, you know, it's still, that, that still brings a smile to my face. That was, you know, something I'll always remember. I still have people coming up and, 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 you know, and talking about, you know, that play and how loud that building was, you know, in the playoffs. It's, it's a loud enough building as is. And, and, you know, to see that and the fans, my ears were hurting, coming off the bench, exhausted. 
Um, you know, and so many guys made so many big plays on 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 that penalty kill. Mark Smith, you know, you hear toss the miss saves he made. Um, you know, it's it was a pretty cool feeling and a, a pretty special play to be a part of. What about playing for coaches like Daryl Sutter and Ron Wilson over the course of those seasons? That particular play, Ron was behind the bench. You had Daryl for a few years. These were guys that were a little bit different in their approach, but they had similar philosophies about hockey. Yeah, you know, you said that right. You know, they had different approaches to the game. Um, you know, and Daryl, uh, you know, being there as a young kid, I think he – he laid a foundation, helped lay a foundation, allowed me to play as long as I did. You know, um, he, he could be rough around the edges when he played, but he, he, he wanted you to, to be sure that you knew this wasn't, you know, it, it takes work. You know, it takes a, a certain mentality to play this game for so long. Um, you know, you, anybody, I'm not going to say anybody, but there's a lot of guys that come in and can play, you know, a cup of coffee, you know, you know, a hundred games, this and that. And then, but to be able to have an established career and play for a long time is is uh, is takes a lot of dedication. And I think he he helped lay that foundation to allow me to do that. And you know, and then you get to to Ronnie, and Ronnie came in and, and had a little bit of a different approach. But you learn different things from every single coach and, and the way they approach the game. Um, you know, he liked his his details. He had a lot of video. He was a big video guy. Had you know, he always had his fun videos to play and. Um, so you learn from that. Zets was a, a D coach then, and you know where I had Paulie Baxter, the original. So again, a little bit more detailed was was Zets. You know, going over things and video. Paulie Baxter was more about effort and everything like that as it was in the beginning. Um, so you definitely you, you grabbed a lot from every coach you, you had. You had a trip to the conference final in 2004 against Calgary. That was uh, quite an interesting experience uh, to go down in that, but it was a very, very special time for the Sharks. You had the Edmonton series where you had that great penalty kill, a six-game series. And then it was on to the Colorado Avalanche. You signed a four-year contract to play there. You played a little in Washington, some Calgary, and then Nashville. And then you got back to the San Jose Sharks. And I have to ask you, uh, what about your experience in playing with those other organizations? What did you get out of those experiences? And maybe what did it tell you about what the Sharks were like and coming back and being able to play for them to finish your career? You know, every every experience is great. I love my time in Colorado. I got to, you know, again, some great friends uh, that I still stay in touch with. You got, you know, Johnny Lyles. I got to play with Joe Sackett, Peter Forsberg, Adam Foote um, to see a different organization. Denver's a great city. Um, my kids were born there. Um, you know, it was a special place and it was, you know, it was close to, to probably, you know, hanging my hat in Denver. If, you know, at the end of my career, I didn't know when that was going to end. When you get to the end, you never really know how things are going to play out. I was in Nashville, um, which also a fantastic city. Unfortunately, it was during the lockout. We missed the first half of the year and, and we really never got off on a good foot in Nashville. We ended up missing the playoffs. And, you know, when I got a call to come back to, uh, you know, to San Jose from, you know, Dougie, I, I didn't know how long this was going to be. He originally said, you know, you're just coming in for the playoffs as a, you know, an extra body. We got this Jason Amirs gets hurt. And I end up coming in in that first round against Vancouver. We sweep them. I, you know, I had a, a great first round and, you know, they didn't want to switch things up. And I think that that turned into something where, you know, veteran leadership is always something that is good to have around. And I got along well with those guys. And it's such a, a good group there in San Jose, you know, Jumbo, Logan, uh, you know, Pavelski, you know, Patty, you name it, down the road, right? You know, Boiler was there. And I think it's just those 
such a solid core and such a, you know, a great um, locker room. Uh, and it was so fun to be a part of. And, uh, you know, I, luckily I got to stick around for a few more years and then I ended up hanging my hat here. One thing you also got to do is represent your country and play in the World Cup. That was back in 2004. You got a couple of assists in that tournament and won a gold medal. Tell us about that. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, another one that was special. It was after the run in Calgary, um, sorry, against Calgary, that, that the Western Conference final where, you know, I, I think I really took another step in that, you know, that playoffs personally, I, you know, when we played Colorado, that was a big hump for us to get over as far as a young youthful team. We, you know, I think I had a, a great battles against Peter Forsberg. You know, I was matched up against with him a lot and uh, you know, I was able to, to keep him at a pretty low number. And then, you know, so I think I played, you know, a lot of minutes and a lot of key situations over that, that run. And it was a lot of fun. And I got noticed by whoever. And I remember, uh, when Wayne Gretzky called me that summer. So, you know, it, it's obviously something special. You talk about these little milestones and getting a call from Wayne Gretzky um, to tell you, you know, you made the, the national team is something that, you know, I'll never forget. And getting to go there, I was slotted in as I believe it was like the seventh or eighth defenseman, Jay Bomeister as you know, behind. But then, you know, during camp and during some, uh, I think the first game, it turns out, um, Pronger went down and uh, Ed Jovanovsky went down and then somebody else. And I ended up slipping into the lineup and, you know, I slowly, again, you get put in those situations and you succeed in that. And, you know, back then that defensive style hockey, you know, to the point where, you know, started out not many minutes and until the end, I was the last guy out on the ice in the winning game, you know? So it was, you know, I was tasked with shutting it down, controlling the lead. And that's what we got out there at the end to do. And, you know, I think I was out there with Niedermeyer. So such a special feeling in Toronto to win, uh, you know, Team Canada for the World Cup. Uh, you know, I'll, that's a, a, you know, a banner thing for me. I, you know, it's something to hang my hat on. It was pretty cool. You didn't win the Stanley Cup as a player, but uh, winning the World Cup is right up there with that to represent your country. Out of all the teams you played on, I mean, I'm looking at that uh, that series against Edmonton. That was a real golden opportunity for the Sharks to win the Stanley Cup. Edmonton ended up going to Game 7 of the final against Carolina uh, before their season ended. But I want to go back to 2002 when you took the Colorado Avalanche to Game 7 lost one nothing on that Peter Forsberg goal. Do you think that that team with Brian Marchman on the team and so many guys that were so hard to play against, Scott Thornton, Mike Ricci, and Nicholas Sundstrom with that great third line, don't you think that that was one of the real opportunities the Sharks had that came close to winning the Stanley Cup? Yeah, you know, like there was... <laughs> There was a number of times over the course I played for San Jose that we I thought we really had the team. That was one that I thought we were phenomenal. And you you know you you look at all the little things that happen over the course of a you know a, a career or a team that can change the you know the trajectory of where that team goes. You know you win a cup there. You know it, it it's great. Obviously everybody you know the cup, but you know the next year we I believe it was the next year you'd be better at the knowledge of this. But the next year if we you know, if we win that, the team probably doesn't get broken up the next year. And then we don't make it to the Western Conference Finals, where I really thought that that was something special in that 0-4-2. We ran into, you know, Kiprasov, Aginla, and, a, you know, a great third line there for, for Calgary. And, you know, and they Tampa ends up winning it in seven in the thing, where I thought we had a great matchup against Tampa. I really thought we could have won that one. 
you know, and that turns out you lose that one, you end up getting a guy called Joe Thornton. So, and you add all those pieces. And then, you know, I think that that Edmonton one hurt where I remember uh, we were up three, two, Oh man, I think we were up two, one in the series up three, two in the third, they ended up tying that one. And that's the one where, you know, if we win that game, we're up three, one, and instead it goes to two, two, you know, Cheech had that great opportunity in overtime Rolleston. I don't know how he makes the save. You know, it seems like we got snake bitten a few times, you know, the wraparound from Tamu in, in that game in 02. So it's like, you know, a number of opportunities where you, you think you have it and it doesn't. But, uh, you know, and I loved our teams when I got traded back here at the end of my career. You know, we, you know, when L.A. was going through their run, we played them really hard. You know, I thought we had a, a lot of great, op- great series against them and opportunities to beat them. And if we do that, who knows where we go? So, well, exactly that that, that playoff you referenced in 2013 when you came back. I mean, you took them to Game Seven on the road, and of course, the next year was the the real big disappointment. Up three games to nothing, some injury problems. L.A. ended up winning the Stanley Cup that year, and they certainly deserved to do that. But uh, that's kind of a low point. But when you talk to young players and you talk about those ups and downs isn't that the the important thing to understand that every player goes through it and you have to have a a kind of an even keel as you approach each game for sure i think that that's where the the game of the the nhl can really beat you up and spit you out if you don't maintain that confidence in yourself you know you go back to that game we you know we were up three nothing and we lose but you know there's a lot of games in there that la is a good team you know what I mean? And if you look at the end, sometimes analytics throws you for a loop. But were we really a team that could beat L.A. by four to nothing? Probably not. No. Right. So it comes to turn down. It goes down to the wire because, I mean, I think the year before that, when we took them to game seven, we were the better team over the course of seven games. You know, I'll argue anybody with that. The chances we had, you know, Jonathan Quick stood on his head. Yeah, we didn't bury the goals at the key times. But, you know, that's the funny thing about hockey. You can run into a a hot goalie, you can run into a hot player. You look at what Florida did this year and, you know, they're an amazing team, but you look at the guys that they went through and if, you know, you go back, nobody had them picked going as far as they did. And that can happen at the, the weirdest times. Why is hockey so great? You know, I don't think that anything's predictable. And, you know, the teams, it's such a close margin of error. And you go back to what you said, it can spit you out this game because if you don't have confidence in yourself to rebound after a bad game, rebound after a bad shift, you know, it, it can become really hard to to keep playing. Unfortunately, your career ended in 2015 on a, I don't want to say sour note, but the Sharks ended up uh, missing the playoffs that particular year. But in April of that season, you scored your 38th and final NHL goal. Kowalski gets the rebound, turns to the left circle, throws it back to the point, burns the shot. That's blocked. What a job by Everberg on that play. Held in by the Sharks. Pavelski keeps the pressure on. Feeds a backhander to Burns. In front, chip, score! Scott Hannon in front, chip that shot! He's been in the offensive portion of the offensive zone more than he has his whole season. And that's a beautiful chip for Hannon against the team he used to play for. Scott Hannon, his second goal of the year at 16.35, makes it 1-0 San Jose. How about that, Hanner? The fact that your final NHL goal was assisted by Brent Burns and Joe Pavelski, three of the, the greatest San Jose Sharks of all time, all on one play. <laughs> you know what, Dan? I think that that was my last game I played as well. It was. I, th- uh, I think. It, I think it was actually. Yeah, I, I, that was. That's sort of my, you know, my claim to fame with Brent Burns. It was a great goal. I was down the play. I get a backdoor tap, and I believe I had two points that game where I assisted on him. 
And then Burnsy shot a puck off my face from behind the net. And I got a, you know, a pretty bad concussion. It was a pretty scary moment, but uh, you know, it's a, probably a fitting way to end my career <laughs> getting hit in the face, scoring a goal, um, you know, and obviously it's such a great career, I, you know, and I love playing with those guys still have great friendships with those guys. And, you know, to, to be able to, to have a game like that, well, obviously missing the playoffs, that's not the way we wanted it to go out that year, but uh, you know, it was the, I felt really satisfied with my career um, when it ended. And it was, uh, you know, obviously to have that last play, it's like, I could say, it's a story I can tell my kids and some friends when, uh, when they say, how'd your last game go? And that's how it went. <laughs> well, you and your kids, uh, certainly and your wife, Christina, enjoying a great life here in San Jose and uh, now part of the broadcast team. I always love having you on the air with me whenever that opportunity arises and you jump on the TV side as well. Uh, what about life in Northern California and, and how do you look at it for your kids growing up? You know, I, I love it. Um, you know, I love the city of San Jose, the Bay area, you know, sort of growing up here early in my career. Um, me and my wife met here, um, and now coming back, you know, down at the rink, they've great uh, playing hockey, coaching the kids, being involved in the grassroots from learn to play you know, getting a chance to work with guys like you on the radio and the TV, um, you know, talk about veteran leadership. So you guys showing me the ropes there. I, I think there's so many ties to the, to the city and to the community. Um, the chance to get to surf. I'm a big mountains outdoor guy and to get to surf and ski in the same weekend. And um, I think it's something special. I think it's a great place for kids to grow up. Um, you know, and I love the area. What about the therapeutic value of surfing? I know Paul Correa has talked about that in his post NHL career, but uh, is that something that, that you found too? Yes, for sure. I think, you know, that's the hardest time is that first year out of hockey. Um, it's such a change. So, you know, we talked about it earlier in the interview. It's something where, when did you start? And it was about three years old and, you know, it ends at some point. And it just turned out I was lucky enough for it to end at 37 years old. And, you know, but it's still, no matter what anybody says, when they say, well, what are you going to do after? Are you prepared for whatever? Nobody is. Um, you know, like I said in those stories, I, it could have been Denver. It could have been Nashville. I could have been back in Vancouver. It turns out I was in San Jose because that's kind of where things ended. You know what I mean? And I'm happy it did. Um, but surfing helped me out it because I was able to maintain sort of a, a structure. I worked out a little differently. I, I worked out every day. Um, and I surfed probably three to four to five times a week that first year. It was an unbelievable winter for surf. It was, a, I believe, an El Nino year and it was just calm and big waves. And me and Mark Nish, a, you know, a good friend of mine, he, you know, and I got to meet a lot of good people over there. And, you know, I was surfing so much and, and, and you know, it's dedicated. You'd be, it's a little bit, you know, people probably wouldn't think that it's a pretty competitive sport when you get into it. You got to take off from a certain spot and people don't want you in there. And it's, uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the, you know, surfing. It was, a, you know, and I still do it to this day. So do my kids. So here's the question, given your competitive nature, have you ever surfed Mavericks? And if you haven't, would you ever want to try it? Not a chance. Those guys are something special. Um, you look at those guys and they're the elite athletes. That's something where, you know, I like surfing, but I don't want to get, <laughs> I don't want to die surfing. And that's, that's a heavy wave. And, you know, those guys are, you know, the best at what they do. And it's, it's something to watch. 
As we finish up our chat today, Scott, I just want to get uh, some thought for you about where the San Jose Sharks organization is headed right now with Mike Greer as the general manager, obviously with Eric Carlson moving on and and uh, with the team in the state of a rebuild where they want to be competitive and they want, they want to push hard, but they're also looking to the future. How do you look at it as a former player and what do you say to fans who are about to go through this for the first time in really a long time? Yeah, and that's it. And you said it the first time in a long time. And if you look at the teams, I think it's, it, you know, they're on the, they're on the right track. Jersey, I think has done a phenomenal job since he stepped in with the way he's approached how the team needs to put things together. Um, you know, he's bringing in solid veteran leadership. Um, they're putting together a really good plan at the, at, with the Barracuda, you, you know, look, I, I got the opportunity and, and, and the, to jump out there for the development camp for a little bit and see the, the new young guys that they brought in. And I can tell you, things are going to be looking a lot different. I like the talent they're bringing in. It's, it could take a while. I don't think this is a quick, easy process. You know, you can get lucky. Don't get me wrong. Um, and I think that they all know that, but the process is there. Um, you know, they brought in a lot of great guys, Todd Marchant, Dougie Waite, um, you know, Tom Holy. You know, I think they're surrounding themselves with good hockey people. You see Jumbo walking around the rink all the time, bringing in Patrick Marlowe. Um, you know, those conversations that they're, I, I'm sure they're having in, in that up top. And that's that's the process and, and that's the fun. You know, you got a lot of, we're down at the rink skating. You know, Mark Smith comes down. We got little pickup games. and It's just a great atmosphere. And I think that that's important. I think that that connection between young and old and seeing the kids and talking to them and being there is, is a good thing. Gersey's a big guy in that. And, uh, you know, he's, he's in there and it, it's awesome. And I, you know, I think this, the Sharks fans are, you know, should be thrilled at what's going on there right now and be excited about the process. You know, you got to, you know, Musty, I seen him at camp and, you know, Will Smith, those are some guys they are building blocks for the future and the process is there. You know, how long it's going to take, who knows? You know what I mean? And and I think the trade they made with Carlson, even though it's sad to see, a, a, you know, a, a defenseman of that caliber leave, I think they did a phenomenal job with the return, um, you know, only eating a million and a half and, you know, getting some prospects, a first rounder, that's where it starts. You go back and you talk about Patrick Marlowe and me getting drafted. So there's your late first rounder. And, you know, maybe it's a high first rounder this year. Maybe it's not, but, you know, that's the process that you need. If you look at, the top teams right now, where did they go through and what did they do to get there? Edmonton. And, you know, you, you, you look at the teams, you know, Vegas is an outlier. They got to do it through the expansion draft, but still they brought in some good pieces only when they had the good pieces in the minors, right? You were able to bring in a guy like Jack Eichel because you had the stepping stones. And I think that Eichel is really that, that guy that took him over the top. You watch those playoffs and I, I love the way he played. You know, I wasn't, didn't get to see him a lot in the East. You know, and he was coming off that big injury. But you look at that playoffs and you watch him play, he was a dominant force. And, you know, look at what Edmonton did with McDavid and everybody. It starts – it takes a while. It's not a quick fix. Look at Colorado. How many how many years of abuse that they had to take to get to the point where they got him a car and a McKinnon, you know? So it's a, it's a process, and, I you know, I love to see what Grizzly's been doing. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of, you know, you have Will Smith and, and Quentin Musty in the first round in uh, 2023. Kind of reminds me of Andre Zuzin and Marco Sturm in 96. Then you got Marlowe and Hannon in 97. And that's basically where we were. 
And right after that, the start the Sharks started a, a lengthy period of qualifying for the Stanley Cup playoffs just about every year and challenging for the Stanley Cup. So as we like to say, every day is one day closer to the first Shark Stanley Cup. And uh, Scott, I know that you're going to be a huge part of that, too. It's uh, great to have you to talk about all these great memories, but but also to look forward to a great future. Thanks a lot for joining us today. All right. Thanks a lot, Dan.